0: Here to pause Super pumped! You're joining us today. today. today I have Dr. Tyler Navarre. We're going to be talking about epistemology and religious epistemology and all kinds of fun stuff. So, Tyler, how's it going?
1: Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, I'm super pumped for today. We're going to be talking about religious epistemology. So maybe you want to start off by just talking a little bit about like who you are and we got you interested in mm. topics like this. And maybe even like why you're unfortunately a Dallas Mavericks fan because
1: that's <laughs> <of something>. <laughs> well, <laughs> well. I, so I, I, I'm a Texas sports fan. Um. <laughs> uh and uh oh one second i just realized this computer is about to die one oh, second yeah. sorry and then this is live i know excellent nah, um, my, my wife is being kind and coming to the rescue and trying to uh, save this um,
0: <laughs> no worries. But uh, so I'm, I'm a
1: texas sports fan so and it's dead
0: We lost Tyler. So what we'll do is we'll just like edit this all out and we will get started whenever he comes back. So
1: we'll just be chilling for now. Here we go. All right. <laughs> See, this is what happens when you have live television, right? <laughs> it's always uh, live
0: stuff. The good thing is I'll literally just like edit this first like three minutes out or whatever after yeah, yeah, the process is yeah. whatever, and we'll just be like, oh, no one will have any idea. It's that. <laughs> our okay. little secret. So.
1: Sounds good. So uh, I'm uh, uh, a, a Texas sports fan, so I, I, I'm from Houston. So I actually, like, my, my main allegiance is to the Rockets, but... If if you're familiar with how they're playing the last couple of years, ever since Harden was traded, uh, uh, I you know I'm definitely cheering for Luca uh, and and the Mavs in the meantime. But uh, yeah, so I'm um I'm associate professor of philosophy at the University of Saint Joseph in Macau, China's uh, only Catholic university. And uh, yeah, I got interested in religious epistemology because uh, that. That was a really interesting question. Um, mm-hmm. um, can can we know that God exists, right? Can we can we know that God exists? Is it rational uh, for me to believe that God exists? And so, um, ended up becoming like an agnostic for a very short period of time, and I uh, was about to just go ahead and embrace like Nietzschean atheism. Uh, and then until I I did the uh, you know what millennials usually do when they have a crisis, they turn to Google. And, you know, I, I Googled, you know, evidence for God and uh, ended up finding some Old Testament passages that really just made me think this is talking about Jesus, right? S- specifically Isaiah 53. And so the, the next morning I'm late to class. So if my high school um, uh, teachers are, are listening to this somehow in some way, you know, ignore this. But I, I was already late to school. So I was like, ah, Whatever. I'm gonna pull over into a Starbucks coffee shop uh, parking lot uh, and uh, I'm gonna open up my Bible and I'm gonna ask God to reveal himself to me and uh, I did that and I felt God's presence tangibly and and uh, it uh, my heart just became pure joy and I you know started rushing home from school every day to uh, learn more about christ and and scripture and so um, ended up um, really interested in apologetics. I started street evangelizing two years la- or two months later and uh, uh, realized that hey if I'm gonna encounter people right um, where to meet them where they're at, I, I need to know apologetics and then it took me about um, I don't know two years or so to realize if I'm gonna do apologetics, uh, especially for me how I think and, and what I'm interested in. I need to do philosophy. I need to kind of approach it more philosophically. And so, um, yeah, I ended up uh, doing, uh, um, uh, getting into philosophy, ended up doing a master's uh, in philosophy of religion. And uh, in that, I ended up reading Plantinga's Warranted Christian Belief. Um, And I basically was like, you know what? I'm just going to model my career after this guy and, you know, try to argue for whatever, defend whatever he says. So, Ah, uh, that, that's that's roughly how I got into doing religious epistemology.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all the like discussions that you've been in that I've listened to are things everyone just calls you like Catholic Alvin Planaga. So I guess
1: that's <laughs> that
0: so. Um, maybe I, I am,
1: but not worthy. But thank you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so maybe just to start off, Tyler, you talk a little bit about like what is, epi- is epistemology and what is like religious yeah. epistemology.
1: Yeah, sure. So epistemology, like formally, is the study of knowledge, right? But uh, uh, more precisely, we can say that, you know, it's the study of epistemic concepts such as like rationality, such as uh, uh, if a belief is warranted, right? If a belief is justified, um, what, what, what uh, is knowledge? Uh, what are the, the, you know, conditions that need to pl- be in place in order to say that I, I know some proposition, right? I mean, uh, so, so standardly epistemology, looks at these sorts of questions, right? Um, From a standard point of view, it looks at questions about knowledge, about rationality, about uh, justification, right? That's uh, what epistemology is. And so then religious epistemology would be applying um, these questions to religious belief and practice. So um, is it rational to believe that God exists, right? Um, Can I be justified in thinking that some particular religious claim is true such as Jesus raising from the dead um you know so uh h- how does the liturgy um uh, resp- uh, play a role in my doxastic formation of you know <laughs> in reference to forming religious beliefs right and um so these are the sorts of questions that religious religious epistemology asks
0: so maybe you could talk a little bit about like Plantingan religious epistemology and the kind of approach that you take, Tyler.
1: Yeah, sure. So Plantinga defends a thesis called reformed epistemology. Now, for your viewers um, who are not reformed in their soteriology, don't worry, um, because as a Catholic, <laughs> I'm not reformed in my soteriology either. <laughs> Um, but I, I still endorse the thesis of reformed epistemology. Reformed epistemology is, is the thesis that religious belief can be properly basic. or uh, to put it in another way, um, that religious belief can be justified or warranted um, apart from argumentation, right? Uh, so the idea isn't that um, that there aren't good arguments for the existence of God, right? I, I think that there are some. Uh, actually. <laughs> Cosmological arguments, you know, I've defended a political argument for God's existence. Um, yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of the first way. So Swinburne's in, see inductive arguments, I think, are, are quite persuasive. But the idea is that they're not necessary right, mm-hmm. in order to have rational or warranted or justified religious belief. And so, you know, uh, Plantinga talks about, he, he thinks this this sort of insight is found in both Aquinas and Calvin. So he talks about his AC model, right? After Aquinas and Calvin. Um, and specifically uh, has its roots in Calvin's, uh, the institutes of Christian religion, specifically book one, I believe, where Calvin talks about how we all have a sensus divinitatis, sense of divinity. Some He interprets Calvin to, um, and endorse some sort of like cognitive faculty that that we all have as human beings that's aimed toward producing belief uh, in God, and it's 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 enables us to become aware of the divine. And so, uh, yeah, Planega ends up endorsing also. Uh, so you don't have to be um, an externalist or a proper functionalist. To endorse reformed epistemology. There are, are internalist and non-proper functionalist glossings, but as a proper functionalist, um, he argues that, uh, that if 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 this cognitive faculty or cognitive faculties, cognitive systems, are aimed toward producing belief about God, and our faculties are functioning properly and aimed at the production of true belief and in the environment for which our faculties were designed. Then, then the be- religious beliefs that the *sensus divinitatis* produces would um, would have warrant. And so, uh, as a proper functionalist, he's going to argue that um, uh, you know if we have cognitive faculties that are designed to produce theistic belief, and if they're functioning properly and successfully in the truth, then um, religious belief, you know, belief about God, uh, is warranted. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, it's he he doesn't think that you have to know that you know <laughs> in order to know right this is called KK thesis. Uh, he doesn't think you have to know that you're justified or know that you're warranted right um, the idea is that just as long as these conditions are in play, you don't have to have access to whether or not these conditions are in play right mm-hmm. uh, are are in place as long as they are when you form this belief then the belief would have positive epistemic status um and so uh he you know so let's we can take a quick mundane example to help further illustrate this and then we can once again apply it to religious belief once more um so uh a lot of philosophers are not really compelled by the liter- the arguments that exist in the literature for the existence of other minds Right, Not a lot of good arguments for the existence of other minds. And, uh, you know, Plantinga argues against some standard sort of arguments. Like you might think one is like, uh, well, hey, <laughs> um, I have a mind and I have this body thing and that looks like a body thing. So, and it's moving in the same way my body moves. So probably it has a mind too, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe you... Um, uh, you look at this really abductively, and you just analyze that. Well, hey, all the information that I have, right? Seeing this this individual here, uh, this is, or, or this something here that appears to be an individual. Um, seeing that there's commu- appears to be to be a communication going back and forth, right? Um, all this together, it, it's the best explanation that, that this is another mind, right? that that, that there is another mind that um, is existing. So um, uh, here's some like standard ways of looking at whether or not there are good arguments for other minds. Here's a problem, here's here's, uh, one of Pliniga's responses to these sorts of arguments. Um, He he argues that uh, these explanations, these hypotheses, are not really simple in comparison to some other uh, competing hypotheses. So let's uh, let's uh, hopefully the the listener is familiar with Rene Descartes, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And obviously Descartes ponders, "How do I know I'm not being deceived by an evil demon?" Right? And uh, there's a a question about whether or not all of his experiences, his beliefs, his desires, his um, all his seemings, et etc, are actually the result of a demon tricking him right instead of um, you know they're actually being real things that correspond with these experiences and seemings and so so on and so forth. Um, well, look at this hypothesis, right instead of postulating that there are about eight billion other minds and perhaps even more, uh, you know different in the the galaxy or universe or universes, right? In the multiverse. Um, uh, Or postulating that just two immaterial minds exist, right? (laughs) You and a tricky Cartesian demon monster, right? Or we can even (laughs) go simpler. Perhaps the only thing that exists is you. (laughs) Um, But, um, uh, you know, you came into existence a few seconds ago with all the experience and beliefs that, that you currently have. Right. Um, right. These, these seem like simpler, uh, hypotheses. This is what Plantinga points out and, and, uh, this sort of thing in warrant and warrant proper function. Um, and, and so the idea is like, are we just going to say that other minds, our belief in other minds is irrational or, or it's not warranted just because we don't have access to good arguments for th- this belief. And Plantinga is like, no, 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 no. If you were hardwired to produce belief that that other minds exist, right? Say like mm-hmm. when I'm talking to you, my brain, right? My cognitive faculties more specifically are hardwired to produce the belief that I'm talking to another person, another mind. And if my faculties are successfully aimed at truth and properly functioning, then, then my belief would be warranted. It's the same way that dogs, uh, monkeys, uh, young children, infants, they can have knowledge too, Right? they can have knowledge because of how they're hardwired and because their faculties function properly and are successfully aimed at truth. And so do, do children know, (laughs) do young children, infants, do do dogs, right? Have these like um, uh, beliefs about their epistemic status, right? Like do they have to know that their faculties are functioning properly in order to know that like ball here, right? (laughs) Or food here, right? Or mama, right? Uh, no, obviously their cognitive capacities are far too limited for that. Um, but nonetheless, they can still have knowledge. Uh, following Ernest Sosa, we can call this animal knowledge. And so it seems it seems like we can play this, you know, apply this to belief in God as well. Um, and that's essentially what what planning is doing.
0: I'm curious how, like, how would you deal with like, um, maybe like experiences or perceived experiences, in, like other religions or traditions? So like, obviously, hmm. like, I'd be curious, like, what do you think about like, maybe like, one, like a Muslim having some sort of like experience mm-hmm. that they take to be like Allah and like um, confirming like Islam or like a Protestant saying like, you know, here's my, I don't even know if this is feasible, but like, here's my Protestant experience. like Right. Experience Catholicism right. Is, how would you deal with those kind of differing, assuming these things are possible? How would you assume with them?
1: Right. Cool. So good questions. Um, so in a book with Eric Baldwin and I, we, have, we actually have two books now um, that we've, and he's also in the debating Christian one. So really, depending on how you count it, it could be three. Yeah. Um, But uh, we have a book dedicated to kind of like exploring Plantiga's religious epistemology and other religious traditions, right? Mm-hmm. And so we look to explore whether or not Aveda Vedanta Hindus or Mahayana Buddhists or um, Neo-Confucians, right? Muslims, Jews, if they can make the same sorts of claims that Plantiga makes, right? Do, can they make sense of his AC or extended AC model? Mm-hmm. And uh, in it, we, we argue through a lot of the chapters that really, <laughs> uh, you know, what, it, what, it, what, what is proper function, right? What's a good account of proper function? Can we make sense of proper function without something like an intentional designer of our cognitive faculties? Right? Mm-hmm. So there are, are lots of great naturalists, proper functionalists like Peter Graham, for example, Um, Ernest Sosa isn't far off from proper function. Um, And he's, you know, he's, he's um, right there. But, um, uh, you know, oftentimes, uh, naturalists will talk about proper function in evolutionary terms, or in terms of history. Mm -hmm. Um, We can get into that if you want. But Roughly the idea is like, we argue that these accounts don't work following planiga these sorts of attempts of proper function don't work.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, uh, really we're gonna need a conscious intelligent designer who um, is concerned with us only believing true true things, right? Or with us at least overall, maybe, maybe not every single belief needs to be true, um, but the idea is that overall we have general reliability of our faculties. He's, he's not out to massively deceive us, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the design plan of our faculties to make sense of it, um, we think that uh, if you buy into Kalam considerations, uh, that uh, the design plan can't be one that you know has this sort of infinite story in the background, where it assumes you know my design plan assumes um, an infinite amount of time and an infinite mm-hmm. amount of designers, right? Um, something like that. And we, we we think that you get you, you uh, get this sort of thing in Mormonism, <laughs> uh, this sort of problem in Mormonism and in, um, in Hindu cosmologies. Um, there's this idea of of um, of infinite cycles and so forth in which our cognitive faculties are um, conceived. And. Um, So, yeah, uh, basically what this does is it starts to like show how lots of religious traditions actually can't make sense of Plantinga's epistemology Mm -hmm. unless, you know, it's a God who wants us to have generally reliable cognitive faculties and our design story isn't um, one that assumes an actual infinite and and so on and so forth. And so it really does kind of narrow it down to who can make use of Plantinga's epistemology. Um, So you would think that some of the traditional non-theistic traditions like Buddhism wouldn't be able to make use of Plenig as epistemology. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, of course, Eric and I just had a book published with Bloomsbury recently where we argue that there is a way to interpret Buddhism as consistent with classical theism. And so, you know, maybe we need to reshape how we view some of these religious traditions and, and ways in which they can Use planting as epistemology, but traditionally, as it as it uh, normally appears, you know, not so much. With Islam, we argue that um, uh, that uh, largely within the Islamic tradition, definitely within the Kalam tradition, uh, are uh, there's this idea of this. Um, uh, in order to truly know, to have really robust knowledge. You need to um, know that you know. Um, you need to test the Quran to see if it's true. Um, you need to, to be able to have access to the reasons <laughs> which confer the warrant for your belief sort of thing, right? There's this internalist or meta-level requirement that we can sort of um, gloss in a few different ways. Um, but being extremely general here, um, hopefully this is enough to paint the picture. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's very unlike Plantiga's epistemology. Now, um, there's a philosopher who shows that Ivan, uh, and, um Jamie Turner, uh, he uh, doesn't have this. He's much more of an externalist, much more Plantag-friendly. Um, but that that is generally outside of the main philosophical tradition um, within Islam. And so you might also worry about like. Um, in the the Quran, Allah seems to boast a lot about deception. Um, so you might also worry about that sort of condition as well. But um, anyway, generally, this is kind of how I would um, approach these things. But honestly, it doesn't matter, right? Um, just because they can use um, planning as epistemology, like what what follows from that, right? Nothing. Uh, I could also say like, well, hey, if I'm de- if I'm designed to produce the belief that I'm created by a Cartesian demon monster and my faculties are functioning properly. Well, then you know what? I, I could have warrant that I'm being deceived, right? Or that I'm in a simulation, right? I mean, um, it, with moral claims, right? We will disagree on moral claims sometimes as human beings, um, but yet no one thinks that you need to suspend your belief just because there's moral dif- disagreement, right? Or at least generally, that's not how we approach the area. So if all of a sudden, this is um, one of the lines that uh, Plenega likes to give, if all of a sudden you and I are disagreeing, I, I say that it's okay to lie about my colleagues in order to advance my career, and you say no, and we like argue it out, and I give you all my arguments, you give me all your arguments, and it's a stalemate at the end of the day. A lot of us still think that you can be warranted and rational mm-hmm. in keeping with your belief that it's wrong to lie about your colleagues, to advance your career, even though I exist. And even if I'm, say, your epistemic peer who, who, you know, uh, at least de facto epistemic peer um, who disagrees with you. So uh, I don't think much follows from, from it.
0: Mm. It's super helpful, Tyler. And I like thinking about this idea that like, well, it seems like with like under these other religious traditions, there may not be that reason to like trust your faculties, like having that experience. That's a super helpful like clarification, um, and looking like planting rep- religious epistemology oh my gosh so many big words um so i'm curious then like so you talk about this idea and a lot of this like the questions i drew up were based off your cambridge elements book on mm-hmm. religious epistemology so like talk about like the idea of like how could your religious beliefs be like a properly basic belief i'm curious what you think here
1: yeah so you know just going back to what we were saying earlier you know if if um and notice i'm not saying we are designed right right now i'm just saying if if mm we are designed to produce belief that God exists or that God created the heavens or that God um, created the flowers we pick up, right? And imagine someone's at a beautiful waterfall, right? They pick up a flower. They, they look at all of its delicacies, all of its, the intricacies of the, of the flower, the texture, everything. And they just feel all of a sudden this overwhelming uh, experience, right? That leads them to believe that God created this flower or there's some sort of designer, Right. Behind this flower. Right. Um, well, hey, if, if, if you're designed to to um, pick up this sort of agency, if you're designed to um, see God's fingerprint in things, right, then when you see God's fingerprint in things, assuming your cognitive faculties are functioning properly, that, hey, your your belief about God's handiwork would be would be warranted. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and if true, you'd have knowledge. Um so, so yeah, in, in a sense, properly basic are uh, properly basic beliefs are beliefs that can be justified or warranted apart from other arguments, right? And so the question is, well, um, the, the, this contrasts base beliefs, um, which are based on our basic beliefs, right? Require arguments, and so uh, there's a question about. What makes these beliefs properly basic and these not, right? And as a proper functionalist, I would argue, well, it's the design plan of our cognitive faculties, right? That determine whether or not um we need to have access to some sort of argument for holding to the belief in question, which is ultimately grounded in the mind of God.
0: Mm, yeah, that's super helpful. And I really I think it's helpful because this idea that like if our, our cognitive faculties are designed to like have understand these true these truths, then we'd have a reliable way of like understanding this. This is really helpful. Um, so maybe you could talk to other about like cognitive science and how that supports mm-hmm. planting in realist- religious epistemology. I'm just curious, because this is something that was new to me. Um, so I'm curious what you what, what you have here.
1: Yeah, so in the, the elements volume, uh, and then um, I've got a, a new volume with Michael DeVito, who I think has been on your show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've got a new paper in religions on sort of cognitive science and classical theism specifically, but we, we, talk, we um, discuss a little bit about what I'm going to discuss here with you. Uh, so if anyone's listening, that's open access. You can just Google it and you'll, you'll find the copy. Um, uh, yeah, so the paradigm view within cognitive science is that religious belief is an evolutionary spandrel. It's a byproduct of certain evolutionary factors that are advantageous for our survival. Um, there are lots of different ways to view this. One way is uh, stemming from how we're, we're we're naturally dualists, um, and and so maybe um, there's this uh, story we can tell from being intuitive dualists to to get to God. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the main story that I like to tell, but that I think is I find compelling personally, um is the idea that uh, we have a hyper-agency detection device. Um, and so the idea is that as, an, as um, organisms that are surviving, um, if you have a, a detection, an agency detection device that is sensitive to um, agency, you're probably going to be better off than an organism that has a detection device but it's not very sensitive, right? It, it only works half the time, <laughs> or even if it only works three fourths the time, right? You want an agency detection device that that maybe is going to be even too sensitive, right? It's better to be too sensitive, right? To have some false positives on occasion, uh, just so you're extra alert and aware, <laughs> um, <laughs> than you know to have your agency detection device not not really be good, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not work enough, um, you're going to die. Basically, that that happens, uh, and so uh, you know we, we detect agency, right? We have an, an agency detection device, and it's it's quite um, hypersensitive. Uh, you know, we we see teleology in the world, we see design. So there's been studies done. Um, so Deborah Kielman, she asks, you know, uh, children, why are rocks pointy? And they'll say. They'll come up with really anthropomorphic or teleological explanations such as, oh, so animals won't sit on them, right? Mm. And, uh, you know, they prefer teleology. They see teleology. There's been studies done to show that uneducated adults prefer teleology, teleological explanations. Um, there's been studies done uh, showing that, that this is um, cross-cultural, our, our religious cognition, right? It's not just us who have been shaped in the West, right? It's also in China too. In fact, there's a really good edited volume called Religious Cognition in China <laughs> um, that that makes all these points. And uh, so it's, um, it's said that we we are promiscuous about our teleology, right? We see teleology even when it's not there, right? Mm-hmm. And again, this, this goes along with our sensitive agency detection device You throw a theory of mind in and then we can come up with some some compelling reasons as to why we naturally believe in God or Mm -hmm. gods or the supernatural. Um, So this is the paradigm view is that we we do naturally believe in gods, this whole like new atheist thing where it's like if we just like wiped out religion right now (laughs) and never taught it to our children, Right. Uh, religion would be forever dead, right? Religion is something taught, right? Belief in the supernatural is taught. It's, it's no, no, no. Um, mm-hmm. We are religious animals, right? Um, we, we, we are religious animals, and cognitive science uh, again supports the idea that that this is a natural uh, uh, feature of of man because it's it's an evolutionary byproduct. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, um, uh, there are objections from cognitive science where it's like, well, hey, if your hyperagency detection device is also picking up like belief in false gods or belief in uh, ghosts or fairies, well, then, uh, you know, you you shouldn't trust your 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 uh, faculty when it comes to producing belief in, um. God or Yahweh, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, I can get into responding to this sort of objection. I don't know if you want us to go there, but I I did want to make sure I painted that, honestly.
0: Yeah, maybe it'd be helpful to have, like, a little bit on, like, idea of, like, dealing with, like, false gods or, like, fairies or things like that. So, yeah.
1: Right. Okay. So, um, there are different ways that you can respond, and I've defended two particular ways. Um, One starts off by saying, well, actually... Our, our agency detection device is quite reliable, right? I mean, when I get around people, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. my, I, my faculty generally produces the belief that people are around me, right? <laughs> um, it's pretty good at, at detecting agency. And so then you might say, well, it's not when it comes to detecting humans. It's, it's in reference to when it comes to detecting non-physical things. That's when it's unreliable. Mm-hmm. Um. But it seems like in this way you're going to have to assume that the supernatural isn't that, that God isn't there, in order to show that we're not reliable detectors of <laughs> of divinity. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, what if God exists and He's uh, designed our um, faculties in such a way where He, you know, He's going to kill two birds with one stone. He's going to um, uh, allow us to be a bit sensitive to agency so that we survive and reproduce. But he's also knows that by making us extra sensitive to say, to, to the supernatural, uh, our faculties being, um, um, extra sensitive, uh, uh then, then we're also going to become, we're going to believe in him. We're going to become aware that there is a supernatural reality to this world. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it seems to me that, uh, you know, what if that's all that God's after? He just wants us to broadly uh, come to the belief that, that, that he exists, that he is, right? That divinity is. Um, it can be, I, I argue, that it can be likened to um, being in a dark room where there's just like, you know, imagine everything is pitch black. And there are these objects in the room that aren't like obvious <laughs> what they are and like you and your friends are all looking around, right? Well, try to figure out what's there. Well, in one sense, everyone's cognitive faculties in the room are reliable. In a very broad sense. Because in a very broad sense, everyone's coming to the right belief that there are objects in the room. Now, it might not be narrowly reliable. Right? Some one might say this is a piano and the other person says it's a coke machine, right? I mean, Maybe we have reason to distrust, at least independently by ourselves, that that, we, that, that our um, perception in the room um, uh, is uh, uh, robustly reliable or narrowly reliable. But it, it seems, at least generally, right, this is a very b- basic generic sense, our faculties are reliable. So, I mean, uh, obviously, sociology is going to play a role. And the sort of God concept that we're going to have, right? Um, and so it, it seems like you might experience divinity through, as you know, these fairies with godlike features, or mm-hmm. um, uh, it's it's common in certain parts of the world to uh, perceive um, Buddha as omniscient and omnipotent, and and so forth, right? I mean, you you you, and obviously within. Islam and Christianity and Judaism, right? Seeing the God of classical theism, uh, sociology is going to have an impact, a role on this. But the the idea is that generally, we're st- the hyper agency detection device is pretty good still at getting us to become aware that there is, right, mm-hmm. that there is something there, mm-hmm. um, and so it, it doesn't seem too too troubling to think about reliability if, in this way. Um, and then, of course, you can just be like a hardcore plant again and say, well, hey, I get it from a third person perspective, point of view. Um, the evidence doesn't look too good that my cognitive faculties are um, aimed at truth and everyone else is wrong <laughs> or all these other people are wrong, but mine's right. But you might just say, you know what, even upon reflecting this on this fact. Um, I still can't kick my belief that God mm-hmm. exists, right? Um, and, uh, well, if your faculty, if you're designed in such a way as to not be able to kick that belief, <laughs> right? You're, if you're designed to still just find yourself, right, believing that he exists um, and your faculties are functioning properly and there's a high statistical probability that the belief being produced under these conditions is true, then, hey, you know, you still have warrants. So, anyway, these, towards, these two sorts of responses, I think, are quite quite helpful. But yeah, uh, we are religious animals, indeed.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's really helpful. And you look at like the d- dispersity of religious belief, and it's just all across the world for most of human history. So, it's like I totally see where you're coming from there, Tyler. Um, so, one more thing and I'd and love and to talk and about, then, yeah. Yeah.
1: Just, just real quick. Um, mm-hmm. well, I forgot to mention, uh, and then of course we can like work together as a group. Like, imagine we're back in the dark room. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we can cooperate, use philosophy, use science, right? Maybe we have to assume certain metaphysical principles and, mm-hmm. uh, do certain experiments and learn who to trust in the room. <laughs> maybe someone's a little bit better at figuring out objects in the room than other people, right? Mm-hmm. Learn who to trust, learn who not to trust, right? And through group cooperation, um, maybe we can get to reality more precisely. And so mm-hmm. just because our, our sense of divinity is just very broad and general, it doesn't mean we can't get to um, a more definite answer, right. As to what is there. So I just wanted to clarify that before we, we moved on.
0: Yeah, that's super helpful. Thanks for clarifying. Um, so one more question, Tyler, and it's this idea of like, could religious epistemology provide an argument for the existence of God? So,
1: yeah. Right. So, um, you know, back to what I was saying earlier, um, where, um, I think there are, are not good naturalistic accounts of proper function, right? And let's just go ahead and assume Planeta is right, right? I've I've defended um, uh, the idea that uh, proper a proper functionalist thesis is correct. Um, Andrew Moon, Kenny Boyce boys have? Uh, Michael Bergman has, right? Obviously, Planeta has. Like, let's assume that proper functionalism is true for the moment. Um, and let's now also assume that Pleniga is correct, that there aren't good naturalistic accounts of proper function. Well, then it seems like um, it follows in that uh, uh, proper function is like a precondition needed to make intelligible the idea that we have knowledge. And so if you can buy a premise, say, because it seems obvious to you that we do have knowledge, right? And we wouldn't have knowledge if God didn't exist, <laughs> Um, then you know, you can quickly say, Okay, well, <laughs> um uh we we since we have knowledge, God, therefore God must exist, right? So uh I give this sort of argument and the chapter four of the elements volume. Um mm-hmm. basically a parody is just sort of a uh you know, William Lane Craig's standard moral argument, right? But instead mm-hmm. uses it's talking about knowledge. <laughs> um so yeah, anyway, that, that, that seems like a, a good argument to me. If you're a committed proper functionalist and you're committed to what is obvious, namely that we know some stuff at least, yeah. then, then it seems to follow that God exists.
0: It's tricky for the atheist or the like, person that doesn't hold a religious belief because they're going to have to say that, like every religious experience, religious encounter, like, whatever it is, regardless of any tradition, like they all have to be false. Because they, if they imply that like a god or a gods exist, then you have to say it's false if you're like an atheist. And that's a challenge. Um, and I was just thinking about that as you were talking about your argument. So, yeah. yeah awesome. Well, there's one more question. There's one question that was put in the chat as we were talking to her yeah. that I think would be interesting. Um, and we'll wrap up. And it's a question from Wesley which says um there's the exposition mm. in Vatican II um, about God being able to save people in other religions. Um, so this is a Catholic council. Um, lend credence to non-Christian religious experience. So what do you
1: think here, mm. Tyler? I'm curious. Yeah, so I'm actually working on a book right now um, on evangelism, like an analytic theology of evangelism. And um, one of the chapters uh, is dedicated to a Christology of other religions, right? And one of the primary... Um the primary sort of uh evidences that I'm I'm utilizing is Vatican II, um, Lumen Gentium, uh, as well as some other o- other documents. Um and uh yeah, so in it it's 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 the Catholic position is that people who don't know that you know Christ is the Messiah, that Christ died for our sins, you know, people who don't know that um um, that Christ founded the church, right? They can be still right with God, they can be connected with the church, they can be connected with Christ without recognizing it, right? Mm-hmm. This is, uh, you know, Carl Rahner's uh, Anonymous Christians. Uh, so you know, in the same way, like in the Old Testament, Abraham was, uh, was right with God. Uh, Paul even seems to think he believed in the gospel, <laughs> but clearly he didn't have like an explicit understanding right of Christ. So it's in the same way that that individuals and in different religious traditions, right? They have they have truths in their religious traditions and their cultural customs. Vatican II talks about, um, and these truths are holy. Um, and the idea is that if they're in, in a sense, um, Christ is the origin, is responsible for the truths that are holy, that they believe in Christ is the author of these truths and their conscience. Um, in a sense, right. It's author is Christ and, and it, um, you know, working in conjunction with these holy truths that Christ has given them, right. In the same way that Abraham sort of believed his truths that he had that pointed to the gospel. Well, in the same way that these individuals could be believing in the gospel, um, you know, moved by grace first. So it's not, you know, heretical, not plagian um, and, and trusting in what they have that points to Christ, that is Christ, right? Then that can uh, allow them to uh, be connected with the church in Christ without explicitly understanding that they are connected to the church in Christ.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much to Tyler for coming on. I've really enjoyed um, this interview and this conversation and everything you've had to say. So is there any like last thoughts or things you want to say before we wrap up here?
1: So I guess just the uh, final thought about that the comment. Yeah. So if these other religious traditions have holy truths uh, and customs, then it seems like, uh, and it seems, and, and if, um, you know, cognitive science sort of points us that, that we are, we all are aware of divinity, right? At least generally on a normative basis. Um, then yeah, it's, it seems to me that this is some good reason to think that we need to take other religious um tradition seriously when they convey what they convey with respect to their religious experience. And so um, uh, that doesn't have to refute Christianity by any means. I'm a committed Christian uh, who affirms John 14, 6, (laughs) Um, uh, you know, but at the same time, um, maybe we need to become more creative, um, uh, accommodating and, and making room for other religious experiences that aren't traditionally seen as Christian. But other than that, uh, feel free to send all uh, heresy hate mail um, uh, to Zach here.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's totally not Tyler's website that's linked right in the description. So exactly, you, you exactly. Just ignore that. Find my email somewhere in there and, and you can send it all to me. And I'll That's right. Nothing, that's nothing right. Nothing was ever said, so. But thank you so much, Tyler. It's been such a fun conversation. I really enjoyed this. So thank you so much for coming on today.
1: All right, man. Take care. God bless. Yeah. Thank you everyone for tuning in. I hope you have a good one. We wish you the best and God bless. We'll see you next time.